0: <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and uh, so they're saying, what, "Well, what is uh, what is saliva chicken?" And finally, found out that it that it's chicken that's cooked and it's so good, delicious that it stimulates your salivary <laughs> glands. <laughs> Another one was. Was bean curd made by Pockmark Woman
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> And what is that? It's it's bean curd and it's made by a company called Pockmark Woman.
1: Yeah.
0: So this is uh <laughs> I like that saliva chicken, is it? <laughs> you wouldn't order it, would you if you saw it on the menu? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So, this is the last evening, and uh, so there's here's a quote from the Zen calendar, uh, reflection by the famous American poet Gertrude Stein, and says, There ain't no answer. And there ain't gonna be any answer. <laughs> there never has been an answer.
1: <laughs> There's the answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, uh, uh, Douglas Harding's Harding's, you know book called To Be or Not To Be, that is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, Philip wants to know how the chanting books were formed. What do you mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: they really came to life. So for me. Um, oh, yeah well they've been they go through various phases it's hard to keep up cuz they're always changing things you know they but uh you know so th- I think these are fairly up to date but uh anyway the, in uh, when I first went to stay with Lung Po Cha in 1967 they they chanted just the pali you know, Pali words that, and then uh taught Buddha Dasa had called like all this uh established this kind of chanting called Tamwat Plea, which is a Pali line then translated into Thai, so you have a like a sentence <laughs> in the Pali and then the Thai equivalent. And so then we all had to learn Tamwat Plea and in uh, and that, so you learn both Pali and and the Thai meaning. So then coming to England, um, the Thai have a certain way of chanting and and uh, and a certain way of pronouncing Pali. So then the people here had, you know, wanted more accurate uh, pronunciation or because in Thai they... If you, like in the Esan where I live, um, the P's always sound like B's and the B's always sound like P's. So puto is buto, you know So like puto because the B becomes a P and the D becomes a P. So it's put, D, no the D's are the T's (laughs) and the T's are the D's. So it gets very confusing. (laughs) So then uh, so then Ajahn Sajito I think uh, kind of uh, took the, the responsibility on and then they also the English translation like uh, to the Blessed One and then there's a Siddhartha, if you remember Sister Abbasra, and she's a musician and she helped to kind of uh, render the, the rhythm and uh, it was a tie I mean, the Pali and the English. I think she did a very good job. It's quite beautiful. So we even can chant in English. To the blessed one, the Lord. It's a bit catchy. (laughs) (laughs) And then, this on Sound of Silence. So, it's interesting, uh, uh, when I discovered Sound of Silence, it was, you know, it was when I was an error and uh, I began to notice this uh, resonating sound or vibration. And so then I was uh, into investigating all, everything is impermanent, you know, so you find in the, the teaching all conditions are impermanent. So then I made up this... Uh, kind of question I said is there anything impermanent you know and so but I'd already settled for everything is impermanent already but just the question you know to kind of use it as a kind of conundrum or koan is there anything permanent and so then uh, I kept hearing this sound of silence uh, and I it's impermanent <coughs> but then I began to notice that it's It's always present. It's just my attention is impermanent, (laughs) whether I'm aware of it or not, but it's always present. So then that kind of interested me. So I started just using the sound of silence as a focus rather than the breath. (coughs) And uh, recognize that if I I stay with sound of silence, it's, uh, you know, it, with the breath, I can get more concentrated and, and tranquil. But in the uh, sound of silence, it gives you this kind of uh, steadiness, connected awareness. You know, so I developed uh, this practice over the years. Uh, of uh, I've filled notebooks with the word silence. Get tired of silence, I'd write silencio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Italian's a little more musical. Or uh, just, you know, just to, and when I used to, I used to, at Christmas time, I'd send all these Christmas cards. Maybe some of you remember, right? I'd spend uh, a month before Christmas signing all these cards. You know, the, the the Christmas card list got longer and longer as, you know, more people asked. I got to know more and more people. So I'd practice, you know, the sound of silence writing the signature. Uh, John Semedo, you know, the sound of silence. Because you can tune in and then concentrate on writing at the same time. And, uh, and then I'd have Mala beads where I'd go, just I had this Tibetan uh, yak bone mala, you know, so it's, they're kind of flat, round discs. And then there's a gap between, you know, the, it, there's this big gap and you just slide one over and listening to the sound of silence. Just from that distance of from this point to this point. Just to to train myself to be with this, you know t- and count one, two, three, four, five and so forth so that that eventually I began to, the mind just began to settle into this sound of silence you know where it wouldn't be skipping about and running off so that's, that's just uh, you know ways of, uh, that I used, I found helpful. Um, so like, you know, like writing it out in a notebook, you know, you say silence, silence, you know, so that you you, you know, you're just, the, now the word silence, as soon as I hear the word silence, it's, I, I notice sound of silence. It's just automatic. No, I mean, there's no problem. Uh, then, uh, you know, I'd forget about it and... Uh, then I'd remember it. So if I was trying to, if I forgot about it, then I remembered it. Oftentimes I wouldn't hear it because I was trying to find something rather than just open up. So this is where, you know, you've got to, when you conceive the sound of silence or, or think about it, then that's not it. It's the, it's just recognizing and, um, Learning to open to it. So one time, there's a woman on a retreat here and talking about sound of silence, and she's getting so frustrated because the whole retreat she kept trying to find it. And so I'd look at her, and she'd be sitting over there somewhere, and she'd be, (laughs) (laughs) and she looked absolutely wretched the whole retreat, you know, that poor woman, you know, desperate to find this. And then, and then uh, finally, towards the end of the retreat, she says, is it that (laughs) kind of buzzing sound? And then that's it. But then she she was looking for something, you know, she imagined. You know, that didn't seem like anything worth bothering with. I imagine this is what, she didn't say this, but that's oftentimes how people... They just think it's nothing <coughs> or, or uh, irritation or tinnitus or, uh, you know, so that you dismiss it. And then in, when I gave, uh, uh, you know, talked to the Vipassana teachers in uh, Spirit Rock, you know, they all noticed it. But they, but then in the Mahasi method, they always say, uh, just note, note and see it's impermanent. So they, they're just dismissing it as a Nietzsche and nobody knew how to use it, you know, so. And then a lot of people dismiss it because it's not in the canon, or it's not orthodox Theravada, according to some people's view, but, you know, if it works, then use it, you know, it's not a matter of it, you know, you, we're not bound to to, you know, that it has to be in the scripture to be true. Uh, So, or, you know, it has to be orthodox Theravada. I mean, these are opinions and views. But the, uh, anyway, I started using it because I just found it kind of useful. I didn't know what it was. And then, uh, one time uh, I was invited to the summer school, Buddhist Society Summer School. This is when they were at at Hoddiston, you know, at High Lee, uh, the time of Christmas Humphreys. And and so I went in the book bookshop where they sell books and they saw this book called The Way of Inner Vigilance. And it had a Buddha Rupa on the cover. So I, I and then I started looking through this book and it, and it talked about Nada Yoga. Sound of silence. had a name for it, Nada Yoga. So that's what I've been doing, Nada Yoga.
1: <laughs>
0: and and then it was written way of intervigilance is uh, written by um man who died recently called Salim Michael, who who was from the middle uh, from Middle East somewhere. And uh, he was a kind of mystic, and he he wasn't really a Buddhist, but he he had great, great insight and so forth. And, and anyway, they had a Buddha Rupa on the cover. I guess I guess that's why they sold it in the summer school. But it had nothing, that, you know, wasn't about Buddhism per se. But uh, it did give uh, you know instruction on Nada Yoga, and so a lot of the instruction he was giving was exactly what I was doing. You know, so I found that encouraging at least you know I wasn't just some kind of freak you know that you know that I have some kind of freak karma with it or that you know I'm the only one that notices it so then uh, uh, I, I didn't teach it for a long time because just just to check it out see what the result is in my own practice but as I you know, as I see the good results and then everything becomes more and more clear, then they then this reference of of consciousness. There's so much doubt around the use of the word consciousness. And uh, then in the Thai forest tradition of times the forest Ajans talk about the jitta and they always refer to consciousness as the word, the Pali word jit, jitta. Uh, and so you know they talk about like Ajahn Chah would say, do jit, watch your, watch your consciousness. Because the Pali word vinyana in Thai tends to be, you say vinyana, and the Thais go like this because you know, they it, it usually mean think of ghosts. That's their name for ghosts. Isn't it? Is these it strange vinyanas around, you know, ghosts and Thais are all, they're all afraid of ghosts, aren't they? <laughs> except you. So, anyway, you know, because then there's uh, Ajahn Mabua, famous, Ajahn calls the, uses the term, uh, eternal jit, jitta. And, of course, this got to Sri Lanka. There's no such thing as eternal jita. And, kind of, you know, this is not Theravada and so forth. But I could understand what he was saying, you know, because I'm not, I don't believe in, in, you know, I don't have to be accurate. I just want something, you know, on the conventional level that that reminds me. I'm not looking for perfection on the, you know, in the language or the convention. Because, you know, it's, not, it's you're never going to get perfection that way. You know, it's always, that whatever convention you use, it's always, you know, some something, you know, it's, it's just more of a pointer. You know, it's not, it can't be the ultimate reality in itself. So, religious conventions, then, to me, are pointers at ultimate reality. So, then I suddenly have a all religions they're just pointers you know they're just pointing what are they pointing at so like christianity you know being brought up as a christian and it would say only through jesus christ can you be saved so christians get very heavy on other religions because we don't believe in jesus christ and so therefore they feel we can't be saved that's why they're very keen you know, like Christian activities in Thailand are very they're very busy Christian missionaries because they're so concerned about the Thais uh you because know, they won't be saved they're Buddhists so they they send missionaries uh, all over now you can't go anywhere in Thailand without Jesus save signs nail on the trees and whatnot, and so you know and you talk to these. These uh, born again Christians and and they you know they ha- they're good intentioned and everything, but they they're fixed on Jesus saves and the Jesus to them is is their version of Jesus. Now for reflective, you know, like when you're when you're working with mindfulness, then you know what what is Jesus if Jesus saves? I'm not saying that's wrong, and I'm not contending and saying Jesus doesn't save but what does that really mean in terms of the here and now if Jesus saves then what does that how does that apply to the present moment because if there's only here and now and and then Jesus if Jesus was was uh, what is what is that is it the savior who you know was crucified and 2,000 years ago, or what is, what did they mean by, and what do they mean by saves? Or Christ. And then, uh, then uh, there's a saying, uh, only through, let's see, uh, uh, that uh, you can only be saved through Christ. And well then, you know, to me, then I can see this actually means in a practical way, Mindfulness. Because this is, this saves, I mean, in terms of it frees you from delusion, from the mortal attachment to mortality and delusion. So then then I can see Christianity as a pointer. At, but then the pointer becomes the focus rather than what it's pointing at. So, you know, and they have the Zen saying the finger pointing at the moon. You know I'm pointing at the moon and you're looking at my finger you see so you you only see my finger you don't see what I'm pointing at or you know you you want to go to London so you go out Emil Hempstead and there's a sign there saying on the M1 London pointing and you you say oh this is London (laughs) (laughs) it's that stupid (laughs) That's not being mindful, is it? It's you're touching to the signpost and uh, <laughs> you won't get anywhere with that. <laughs> uh, what what is it? What is the function of a signpost? It's pointing a direction, isn't it? And so, uh, the Dhamma teachings—they're—they're not—they're signposts. They're—they're they're to help. They're not ends in themselves. Or uh, so you know, you can memorize the whole tripitaka, and still, you know, you're still holding on to the signpost uh, uh, rather than uh, going to, following the direction of that sign. So where's that direction? And of course, here. For each one of us, isn't it? Like, do jit, look here. And it doesn't mean looking at, you know, uh, yourself as a, you know, physical body, but it means being, awakening, because from this point, you know, here and now, uh, each one of us is the center of the universe, Uh, so in terms of the reality of this moment, because, you know, this, this is the center point as far as my perspective on life is. You know, so I can't, you know, you're, you're an object in consciousness. So, but the center is here, and then the whole world is spread out from here. In terms of experience, isn't it? I'm not saying, you know, that I, Ajahn Sumedho, am the center of the universe. That would be...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that, that's absurd, isn't it? But, but, you know, in terms of this moment, in terms of experience, as each one of you is- you're experiencing life from this point, you know not from over there but from here, and so this is this is where this this uh, watching or observing mindfulness opening mindfulness to observe the way it is, and if you don't do this then you you know, you're you're merely like you're going out outward all the time, and and getting caught in the in um, you know, if you, it, like a center. Uh, T. S. Eliot says the still point of the turning world. If you if you you know the, the still point is the center, and if you you know if you if you forget that, then you're out on the circumference of the wheel. You know, which you're caught in the saṃsāra, so you're caught in the movement and of, uh, of saṃsāra or the conditioned realm that that goes around in circles. But if you uh, mindfulness brings you to the still still point. Now the sound of silence has this sense of stillness, a still point also. Is another, it's a it's still. silent. and yet it's it's not a silence that that. Uh, and yet you can say sound of silence. And I've been attacked by saying silence doesn't have a sound. That's being logical. I'm I'm not trying to to be logical, but you know this this is for reflection. So this um, you know you can think absolute silence. Then. then You've got to get rid of the sound of sound. I've heard meditators say that. How do you get rid of that? You know, how can I get rid of it? If I can just get beyond it, you know, I'm stuck with this. And so, that you know, they, they see it as a, as a sound in the way that we might hear noise or music or something or somebody's voice, a sound of the wind or something external. But when you recognize this sound of silence it's 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 still it's silent, but it's not it's not it seems like a sound or a vibration but it's uh it is what it is you know don't some people think it's um sound of your blood vessels in your ears or you know i mean so some people have various views and opinions about it. But nobody really knows in terms of definition but it certainly usable practical I'm thinking of practical use of it because it does work you know it's worked for me because it it uh, gives you this perspective <coughs> to reflect from it's just you 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 abide in the still point and then you can see you know like I've been Repeating over and over during this retreat about the sakyaditi, see, get to know sakyaditi. You know, so it's, it's. uh, I can reflect, I can feel, I can feel a sense of when I start thinking about me and my, how my feelings are and my, past and my future and so forth. It's, It's like this, but if I stop thinking, stop. Thinking about me and grasping uh, a view of me and mine, There's still this there's still point, you know, which is alert, it's aware intelligent. If I if I don't think, you know, if there's no thought, there's still intelligence. It isn't like kinda going to going uh, become a zombie or a brain dead. There's alertness and uh, and perspective. So this is realised, recognized. It's like this. And then the then the conditions of Silaphatabra Masa Vichikal, you know. That's why I can speak with great confidence because I've explored all those over and over again till i know you know i know how to use those terms so that you know they they do cover the the uh, conditioning of the consciousness from that you get after you're born you know that you you acquire and and then it be, you know consciousness isn't you don't you don't create it you create uh, you know, the sense of me and mine into it. You think, and you, you, you attach to emotions and sent, invade in our feelings. You, you, to sensory experiences, and you, you know. So you're caught into this, th- and you're outside of the still point when you're caught and bound into the thinking process. You know, without understanding it. Now in. And from the still point, you can use thought as a pointer, as a reflective tool, rather than just as a something to to bind yourself to. Because try to solve all your problems and free yourself from suffering by thinking, you'll never be able to do it. I don't know about you, but I can never do it because I do like thinking. You know, I like to think, and uh, so it's not that I'm anti-intellectual or, you know, attacking the thing. But just through trying to solve and figure everything out, you know, I I can come up with some very good, uh, you know, ideas from it. But I'm still bound into the thinking process. So it's only when I can stand outside and see the thinking. And then, of course, the third fetter, wichi, Wichikicha, exploring doubt to the point where you see, you c- the attachment to thought creates doubt. So that's why you know the, we you know we we are so conditioned to uh, to f- you know through our culture to to believe our own thoughts and to th- try to f- answer every solve every problem through the rational mind through through reason and being reasonable, trying to define and understand it trying to, you know, solve our own emotional problems by being reasonable. And then you realize, you know, emotions are, you know, if you try to be reasonable about your emotions, emotions are not reasonable. But your reason can, you know, it tends to judge emotions, you know, so you, you know, you tend to create this, I'm too, e- I shouldn't be so emotional because when you become emotional, you're not reasonable. And so you, you know, and then if you're, if your goal in life is to be reasonable and, you know, then you've got to um, always keep suppressing your feelings. But if you're, if you're getting outside of reason, then that is awareness. That's not a denial of reason, but it puts reason in its proper place. It's not the goal of, it's not liberation. Reason won't liberate you from suffering or delusion. So, you know, like contemplating the law of karma, to to get a good result, you have to use a a good means. Do good, you receive good. Do bad, you receive bad. Now that's uh, in Thailand that they teach that you know right in the beginning. Uh, I think you know, "tum di dai dee, tum chua dai chua." Just part of cultural. Every Thai child can say that. It's one of the first things I learned, you know, in learning Thai. "Tum di dai dee, tum chua dai chua." You, you, if you. Do good, you receive good. If you do bad, you receive bad as a result. Well, so kind of simple, and but it's profound also because, because uh, you know we 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 think that that if we want a good result, we can use uh, an, a bad means. You know, like bombing and and uh, torturing. You know, like the United States now, the government has approved of torturing people uh in order to because it' or, to you know to, th- we're threatened by these irrational irresponsible uh terrorists from the middle east and so you know anyone that looks like a terrorist <laughs> you know you 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 would call it rendition you kidnap them take them to some place and then torture them to where they'll, you know, if you torture somebody enough, they'll say anything. <laughs> you know, so it's, and it's just, it's disgusting when you see, you know, that for to d- develop democracy and freedom and uh, justice and all that. We justify very evil uh, activities. And so this, this today, tomorrow is, uh, Nagasaki day, you know, when they dropped the second atomic bomb on Nagasaki, and that seemed reasonable and thing to do at the time and uh according to the American position, <laughs> I'm sure the Japanese didn't see it as reasonable, but uh then you you see the result you know the 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 fear that's generated from that event, you know, they're trying to control, stop Iran from having nuclear weapons or, you know, you don't know who's where, you know, what terrorist organizations or who's next, you know, trying to control and bully everybody into, you know, only, only the certain countries are allowed atomic weapons and things like this, so you're you have to use all kinds of bullying tactics threats and and corruption and all kinds of evil means in order to establish peace but look at the result I mean, you know is it very peaceful you know there's more fear i think than ever before you know because the means that we're using is is a terror using terrorist tactics to wipe out terrorism is the result is terror and so this is uh, you know if you you know if you want to increase the amount of terror uh, (laughs) then use uh, terror as your means and I guarantee you'll increase terror (laughs) that's just the law of karma (laughs) So uh, you know they think if we could kill off all the terrorists by terrorizing everybody, you know. So so then you know it's it just doesn't it's that's not the way things really work. And so you know you've seen just in uh, in our own lifetime the collapse of the Soviet Union, which you know had. You know, communism was a very idealistic uh, kind of teaching. You know, a political goal, and it's filled with equality and fairness, and in getting rid of cl- the class system, and, and and all kinds of you know very fine ideals. Uh, and yet, the means to impose communism was tyranny. So you know, if if you weren't a communist, you got Either liquidated or sent off to Siberia or whole community, the whole classes of like kulaks and people like that were kind of land owning farmers were were murdered under Stalin and you know in order to get rid of the inequalities of class <laughs> and wealth and common ownership. Now these are ideals, you know, they're not, you know, they're, these ideals are beautiful ideals, but then the means of, it's like, I have very good idea of what you need, like keep the five precepts, take the five moral precepts. Now that's good advice, but then I go up to you and I take your, I say, you're going to keep the five precepts. (laughs) And what are you you feeling? You know, you're feeling terror. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> because, you know, I'll strangle you if you don't. <laughs> well, that's tyranny, isn't it? And that's immorality. I'm using violent means to promote morality. What good is that? You know, it just that, that, you know, the whole thing is, you know, one begins to see the five precepts you go, oh God, five precepts, you know, run away. I mean, and like born-again Christians, you know, I see a born-again Christian, I want to (laughs) run. I know they want to save me, you know, (laughs) good intentions. But they're going to shove down my throat their own views and, you know, they don't, they don't listen, you know, like they're, they'll, they'll tell you and patronize you and, and, um, you know, they don't, they don't listen uh, you know, they, if, you know, one time one came and, t- I mean, now what is your religion about? And he gives a smarmy smile. <laughs> so I started, started talking about Buddhism and he, and he, you know, I noticed that he was listening, you know, like, I'm just very interested <laughs> in finding out. And then, then he said, ah, oh, well, that's wrong.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, you know, he'd be listening in order to, to find something wrong, you know, that he's considered wrong or, and he'd correct me. So, you know, and that's just irritating, you know, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> these kind of people you don't want to associate with. So in, in in your own practice, just notice if you use Violent, tyrannical means towards yourself—you just get uptight and more miserable. You know, like willing your body to do what you want, or forcing your mind, or you know, nagging and 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 uh, criticizing yourself. What is the result of that? Is you you know you f- you feel depressed or you feel despair? You can, you can't do it. Your body gets tense, starts being painful, and emotionally you just you're just not happy. You have no no happiness because you're always, you know, pushing and forcing and tyrannizing yourself. We do it to ourselves. So this is where you know you consider the means. If if nibbana is the goal or liberation, then we have to. You know what what is liberating the means that we use is well then the the way to liberation is you know like the teachings themselves and we have in the four noble truths etc but therefore awakening for awareness they're not just grasping Four noble truths and uh, uh, that's grasping the signposts and uh, you know you've kind of missed you know you're just holding on to superstition and the sila but if you you know if you look where the where the point where does it point, and then it points to the still point here and now awakened it's conscious awakened awareness so then then to do this then you ha- if you're trying to find the sound of silence you know. Or is that sound of silence? And looking for something and trying to get it, you're using the very means that you'll never find it. You know, just willfully trying to get it and, and uh, expecting and longing to get it. But as soon as you're aware of that, you know, be aware of the tension or the intention, you know trying to get something you don't have or just by opening to what uh, what the way it is now even if you're if you're tyrannizing yourself and and using you know all kinds of force and willfulness to get to practice meditation just you know trust yourself just to be aware like like this, this 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 contraction of the bodies, like this, this this willful approach to try to get something you you'd like to have or get rid of all your bad thoughts and faults and weaknesses. So by just switching on the light, that's enough. You know, the scene clearly. You know, and, and if you and if you see yourself, you know, you're finding yourself caught in trying to practice and using willpower and then you then you think oh here i go again uh, using willpower Uh, i'm just a tyrant to myself i shouldn't be like this that's still not it you know don't don't berate yourself or nag or put yourself down uh, you know for anything but be aware it doesn't help to go around Hating yourself for not being mindful, or, or for thinking bad thoughts, just notice it's like this, and so that you're, you have this sense of opening and, and allowing. It's metta, What meta uh, practice is all about. So then, uh, then the result of that is one. Uh, r- recognizes the the still point. But it's not a point. It's like a... It's everywhere. So, I mean, it's, it's like point, or, or like I was saying the other day, is it a point like a little dot, or is it a point of oneness? And so then you, you know, so this is another conundrum to contemplate. So then in terms of this moment, consciousness has this, you know, this includes an awareness with consciousness. Like even, you know, you're totally deluded, you're insane. Uh, you're still <coughs> conscious. <laughs> but you're attached to all kinds of delusions. You know, so you're, or you're, you're attached to fear and sense of self and guilt and all this, and then you're, you know, then even though consciousness is operating, your 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 way of relating to consciousness is through attachment to fear, desire. But in but when you're, when when your means is mindfulness, then that opens to consciousness. You know, it's not it's not it's, and it's not attachment. So then you're you're recognizing, realizing <laughs> pure purity. Consciousness is pure. It's not tainted by anything. It doesn't have any flavor or any colour or any quality except knowing. But it's not knowing about, it's knowing directly, here and now, this is the way it is. So then these, these, these refle- the way it is is not, not a description, is it? It's just a reflection to remind yourself, to use the thinking process more as a skillful means rather than as, a, as something you, you cling to and try to experience life through ideas or concepts. So in, you know, I've seen Buddhists do this. They try to, they read the Pali scriptures and then they try to experience what they conceive in the Pali scriptures. So, you know, they, they're they always binding themselves to definitions of words, Pali words. Is that what it's for? Or is it, you know, I see it, as a skillful means, rather than, than you know, everything defined in, in abhidhamma terms and and uh, described in detail in, you know, in the, some of those abhidhamma texts, you know, they're unreadable. <laughs> they're brilliant, you know, in their own way, but not not to, put them down. But if you, you know, if you don't have awareness and insight then you can you know you you can see Buddhism as the most complicated religion there is. <laughs> <laughs> because if you start with Abhidhamma it's really complicated and and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you've got all these lists and things like that and, and it's you know it's a brilliant kind of use of the mind but but remember that Buddha didn't teach this his basic teaching. You know, that's what he taught to his mother up in the Brahmaloka or something like that. But we're not in the Brahmaloka. <laughs> and so he's he's teaching <laughs> about very simple things like dukkha, its origin cessation and and way of non suffering. So that's simplification, isn't it? That's that's very simple. And so then this this uh, <coughs> using of this very banal ordinary experience of unsatisfactoriness or uh, feeling of separation or dis-ease or whatever, dukkha, we realize we don't cling to the idea of dukkha we look we begin to open and recognize the causes and the uh, the insights into letting go of the causes to realize non-dukkha which is the fourth noble truth so notice I said realize non-dukkha now this is this word realize this is about reality this is real this is not belief. And yet this reality you're experiencing while still breathing and feeling uh, your body is still like this, still has its pains and its problems and and the sensory world still has its, you know, its pleasure and painful uh experiences through the Because this realm is is a sense realm. But so the the freedom or non suffering is not uh, getting rid of the senses or the body, but in understanding, you know, in recognizing, in realizing the way it is. So then, the then you, you know, you don't create suffering around pain or age or things like this. You know, you, you know, you've, you still live out your karma like in the scripture, the, Shakyamuni Buddha, enlightenment, still had to deal with, with, uh, pain, discomfort, indigestion, uh, had enemies, people trying to kill him, and people blaming him, setting him up, trying to, you know, accuse him of <laughs> atrocious acts, and, and uh, so this is this is a vipaka karma, resultant karma, but this is not suffering. It's only suffering when I, I. How can they do this to me? I've been blamed for this for doing this terrible thing, and I never did it. It's not fair. I'm never going to forgive you. Because you've ruined my life. Here I've been a good monk, impeccable keeping all the rules and then you, you, you're saying I did these dreadful, robbed this bank. <laughs> and that's a disrobing offense and you've ruined my reputation. Everybody believes it. And so I'll never, you've ruined my life, dedicated my life to the sasana. And then after 40 years,
1: <laughs>
0: this plot by the monks and the nuns. <laughs> After all I've done for them.
1: <laughs> and
0: so then I'm suffering, aren't I? Suffering. But if I, yeah, don't make it into a problem. then so whether, you know, people believe it or not, or uh, I, they disrobe me, or forgive me, or, or see through it, or whatever. It doesn't matter, because you you know you, you've you've seen the dhamma, so it's not you know it doesn't matter what really happens to you. So there's this story, this Zen story about this Japanese monk and <coughs> very pure uh, practicing monk, and he in any way some village girl uh, gets pregnant and she she doesn't uh, you know so. She says that th- it was the monk that did it, so <laughs> so the whole village turns against him. You know, they say, "You did you do this?" And he just his awesome <laughs> and, and so they <clears throat> they refuse to bring alms, and he becomes disgraced and and uh, rejected, and and he just remains. Calm through the whole thing. Doesn't try to justify, defend, or anything. And then, years later, the the woman who blamed him felt guilty and and uh, told everybody, well, he didn't, you know, somebody else. And so the whole village comes and sees him, comes to apologize. They were terribly sorry, you know, about <laughs> this. We, <were laughs> uh, he says, our soul. Japanese <laughs> <laughs> way of going. Oh. Why all the fuss? <laughs> when you think well, how would we act? How would you act? You know, somebody accuses you of something you've never done, and I've watched. You know, in my own experience, uh, somebody blames me for something. You know, if there's some, if it, there's a truth behind it, I'm willing to. But sometimes you get blamed for things you know that are outrageous, and and then that, then I. And I get really indignant. So there's some area years ago that that got angry with me and told me off and he's accusing me of all kinds of things that I would have accused him of doing and uh, you know he kept and you did this nah, nah, nah. And, and I can't and then this feeling of, how dare you it's <laughs> not true That's you. You do things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I didn't say anything. I just didn't, you know, I didn't. But I still had these reactions, you know. How dare you? You little... (laughs) (laughs) So then I even was grateful because, you know, I mean, I, you know, sometimes things he said were, you know, there was grounds for some of his criticisms and were fair enough. But then others are just, you know, made up or just trying to, to, to make me angry. And so, and then, you know, when you feel, been blamed for something that's untrue, you know, feel, I get, feel really indignant. And, uh, you know, I want to, and that indignant feeling is wanting to, you know, strike back. How dare you? But I've observed that. I said, that, that's, you know, it's more our soul. No?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so even, even when treated unfairly, I still, you still learn from it, you know, so. I'm not asking even to be treated fairly anymore. I'm asking for no special privileges. I take what happens because I realize that that this, this is a refuge, a still point. And if I trust in that, then I can deal with the vicissitudes of change, whether they're good, bad, right, wrong. Fair, unfair doesn't matter in terms of you know uh, you know resting in this 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 which is real and the other, then uh, you know if I start grasping these other things, then I'm out on the wheel again, you know and suffering uh, uh from that grasping so then. You can't get the idea that I just sit around going oh, I sold everything, but it's. <laughs> uh, but you know there is there is intuition and there is awareness when to when to say something and when not to, but it's no longer reactive. You know, if you trust intuition, then you you know sometimes you do something. You have to do something. You have to say that's not true, or uh, you know you've got it all wrong. But it's coming not from anger or indignation. Sometimes it's better not to say anything. And this is an intuitive practice. It's not. It's not a prescription. To set everybody right who offends me, uh, you know, is is uh, you know, is not you know. I'm just going to be you know, an impossible person to live with. And so you you know, or to to go around holding grudges and resenting because uh, I've been treated unfairly or life is not you know yeah. you know has not been what I feel it should have been. But uh, and you see, in terms of this word karma, then this is, I see it as this resultant karma, birth. So. The, then the resultant come is like this: the feeling of indignations like this. But when I, if I'm going to act, then I'm not going to act from indignation, but from intuitive wisdom rather than from a reactive. If I, uh, it's more like a response. It's a spontaneous response rather than a react emotional reaction to uh, in through feeling indignant about somebody's false accusation. So this is this is where you you know you realize how to live within this human realm in society, not turning away or rejecting it, and also being able to uh, be a source of goodness and wisdom within the society. What we lack here in Britain is is wisdom. You know it's a, it's a very nice country to live in. I like living here. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, and yet, you know, I can find things, all kinds of things I don't like about it. But uh, basically, you know, it's a quite a well-run country. And uh, so it's got, you know, it's a nice, nice country, pleasant place to live as far as I'm concerned. But it's still, you know, there's still things I, you know, I see they're not, you know, all kinds of things that aren't good about it. But if I just dwell on that, then I don't, then I'm just, you know, that's all I see. I see what's wrong, or the corruption or the injustice or the stupidity, and then I don't see beyond it. And so my relationship to it is just critical and complaining and blaming. Where, you know, when I, when I'm not holding it up to trying to create the, you know, it should be a a perfect democracy with everything perfect and fair and total justice and tolerance and, and that then, of course, there's plenty to criticize. But I'm not asking that Uh or of of myself or of any, any of you, but to recognize awakenness that that you're never going on a conventional level, a political system, economic system, social system. That's not where it lies. That's not where liberation is. But it's through awareness. And that's not dependent. You know, you can still live in a tyrannical political system and still be aware. You know, it's not an obstruction to enlightenment. So then in terms of living here, you know, appreciate... The good qualities and the, the you know the of of this society, it's, it's you know it's quite stable and you know fairly good democracy and it's good enough. <laughs> so and and then also as a Buddhist monk, you know it's it's tolerant. So you know I've been here thirty years. I've never felt persecuted or treated badly you know there's, uh, you know they've always been a you know they seem to bend over backwards to try to accommodate religious groups here so so you know I can't complain of uh, b- uh, religious intolerance so you know then it's given a chance to establish the monasteries like this uh, you know without any great hassle or and even the Church of England has never been abusive or difficult either. So even though you know it's a national church, it's not a church that that uh, is all that possessive and and you know it is quite tolerant It tries to be. So it's good enough. And then then you know the establishing Buddhist. Uh, Bhajras, bom- monasteries, but the main point is is uh, the awareness within your in within yourself, you know, liberation from delusion. So it's not to just establish Buddhism in Britain and and um, you know monasteries as an end in themselves, but the the whole point of it is is for developing wisdom. And and then, you know, this is something I can do. I can develop I can't make you develop wisdom. You know, so but I can certainly develop it, cultivate this way. This is what I can do every moment. So in terms of the moment, the sound of silence is here and now referring to that. Gives me the you know, if I get lost, caught up in my own Uh, in my Vipaka Kama I remember this and it's you know through through developing that then I can actually you know it's a letting go of and not not creating more karma so how you what (coughs) you do with it after this retreat, of course may you all realize liberation and freedom uh hope that I've been of some benefit in encouraging so this this retreat is I mean to be encouraging you know I've never tried to criticize you or or uh, you know give you or reinforce any sense of your self-worth at least I hope I haven't <laughs> you know so um, the encouragement is... It's giving a sense of your self worth as as someone who who has this wisdom and purity as your true nature is not flattery. I'm not saying that to make you feel good about yourself. It's the truth. Your true nature, you know, is purity and wisdom. This is this is your real home. And this isn't said to make to make you feel good, or to you know, to um, for personal need, uh, you know, so you'll like me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an important thing to hear because how much of your life is uh, you know living with people who criticize you, or you yourself, you know, and always dwell or obsess, you know, with with your weak point or your uh, selfishness or vanity, or you know the fault, the thing you've done in the past that uh, uh, you're ashamed of, and and uh, you know we we tyrannize ourselves and then other people, you know, you're probably in the where you work,
1: you know.
0: <laughs> and so we you know we're very good at. And, you know, at uh, telling each other what's wrong. But, you know, just, you know, really, really appreciate what the Buddha's pointing at. You know, it's not something, you know, that you can't see for yourself. This is, you know, I don't ask you to believe me. You know, I don't want you to go around believing everything I say. Say, as tomato said... My true nature is purity, <laughs> <so> I'm pure,
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I found that very relief to see to realize that because i on the condition level, I'd always had this feeling of being impure, you know that's the cultural conditioning that you're. You're born I, as a sinner, and and that you're, you know, you've got to strive to purify yourself. So it, that's the cultural mindset that 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 I've had, you know. So you know, you even in in the life of a Buddhist monk, you know, no matter how strict and good you try to be, you never feel pure. Uh, by, by just being good boy and keeping all the rules. And I've never been able to succeed in feeling pure through that. It's through understanding, you know, realize that this, you 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 know, that you, this purity, it cannot be stained. I mean, you can think horrible thoughts and do terrible things and the purity's still there You can never destroy it or soil it, but you forget it. And so doing bad things, you know, murdering or deceiving others and things like this, this and this this doesn't destroy the purity, but it creates heavy karma. You know, so you, you get caught in a lot of fear if you do evil acts, then you, then you're haunted by fear, you know the furies in the Greek myths, and and uh, you know that you start becoming paranoid and and so forth. Because not that you've lost the purity, you've, for, you've created uh, done such uh, acts as that uh, create heavy, very heavy vipaka kamma. And so you you know you you get lost in your fears, but in like in monasticism, I mean, forty years is under the vinaya, I haven't done all, anything that heavy for forty years. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, not a, you know still break rules and things like that, but <laughs> they're re- relatively mild, you know, not heavy. <laughs> like using the morning sugar for the afternoon tea.